You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. When you rely on an unpredictable God, the most you can say for yourself is not the most you can say. There's so much more. Our text this morning is uh, in the ancient Latin title, the Benedictus. We've been preaching our way through the prayers that Luke records in his account of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There are five of them, and this being the third Sunday of Advent, we come to Luke's third prayer, which is prayed by a man by the name of Zechariah. He's a priest. And his prayer begins with this word, Benedictus, in Latin. Uh, In Luke chapter 1, verse 68, it's rendered in our Bible, uh, in English, blessed be. Or some of our Bibles say, praise be. But the word Benedictus, the Latin word and the Greek word that it translates, Luke originally used, means Speak well or well spoken. Bene, well, dictus, like dictate to speak. So this is a celebration of speech. It's an invitation to speak well with your words and with your life. Let's look at this story in two parts this morning. I want to invite us to go back into the backstory because it's rich and uh, look at uh, what leads up to this prayer, and I, I would call this a missing benediction. And then we'll jump forward and look at the second act, that I w- which I would call a reliable word. That's the prayer itself. Uh, so uh, would you pull out your Bible and open up to Luke chapter 1, and uh, a missing benediction begins here on uh, page 831 of the Pew Bible. It's Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 13. We'll end at 13 in the middle of the paragraph. If you're able... Would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud. Let's speak a good word in the presence of our Savior. And when we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's sacred word. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, And her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once when he was serving as priest before God, and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. This is the word of the Lord. 
The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word that the Lord speaks lasts forever. Please be seated. So, Act 1, a missing benediction. You see, Zechariah, this priest, he's uh, supposed to speak a benediction. That's the way it would work. When the priest had finished his offering, he was to scrape open the great door of the temple sanctuary and to step out into the blinding sunlight. He was to raise his hands and then speak, speak well, speak well of the people. I mean, at that moment, it was a moment of great expectancy. All of the Jews have been gathered around, thousands of them, throngs pressing in around the door. In prayer, invoking God finally to come. Oh, come, oh, come. How desperately we need God to come. And they pray. But when that door scrapes open, every prayer stops. Every ear opens. and Every eye turns to that pale but joyful figure now emerging from the dim mists of the sanctuary. And they listen. And the priest would raise his hands and he would speak this benediction. Words like uh, God had given Aaron, the first priest. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Benediction. Blessing. Speaking well. But it's not going to happen today. Not for these Jews gathered, not for this man, Zechariah, not on this day. He's going to open that door. He's going to stumble out into the glare of the sun and... He's got nothing to say. He's got nothing but really good hand motions. Because he's been struck mute by an angel inside the temple. And he cannot articulate. It's interesting, this this missing benediction. Makes me wonder about our lives. Makes me ask the question, at what point do I lose my voice in life? At what point do you lose your voice? And at what point do we regain our voice in life? Do you know what I'm asking you? I mean, some of us feel like, many of us feel like, we just kind of lost it. Speaking, but nothing comes out. Or many of us feel like, you know, all my life I've been struggling to really find my voice. And yes, I can say things, but it doesn't ever feel like me. It doesn't feel like mine. I don't feel like I'm making the statement with my life that I just know it's supposed to make. I feel wordless. I feel mute. In, In school, we were told that we were, when we wrote or sang or acted, that we were to find our voice. Well, when we grew up and we became young adults, then we knew we were seeking our voice in the choices that we were to make about relationships and 
job and where to live, what would be originally us. In midlife, we, we look at our careers and we step back a moment at halftime and we say, has this just been success or has this been significance? Am I saying with all that I am what needs to be said with all that I've been given? In relationships, we ask, am I communicating with him? A couple comes into the office and says, he never listens to me. And he says, I listen to you all the time. I've heard everything you say. I can repeat the words. And she says, you can repeat the words, but you don't hear the heart. There's a kind of a connection, a kind of inarticulation between the two of us. Or those of you who are parents of teenagers, do you ever get that look? You're talking, but you just have a sense that there isn't anybody receiving what it is you have to say. And teenagers, you know what it's like. You can remember the moment when your parents started just to say the same old thing again and again and again, and you just kind of tune them out for your own uh, safety. I I remember what Mark Twain says, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. (laughs) But when I got to be 21, I was astounded at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Is anybody listening? Am I even speaking? In retirement, we feel like we've lost our voice. Year after year, we knew what we were saying and the place we were saying, to whom we were saying, who was listening. But when we step out of that role, we just feel like, I don't know if I got anything left to say and if anybody cares. How about you? How's your voice? I think we're all looking for an authentic expression of who we are. Not to be, as the editor of the New York Times, Bill Keller, uh, calls us often as aggregators. He speaks pejoratively of Adriana Huffington and the Huffington Post, just sort of scanning the Internet, trying to find something interesting that somebody else has said and then kind of patch it together and regurgitate it in our own lives, to speak other people's words on our own lips because it's the best we can find. And, and once we get that, we, we speak it, we post it, we tweet it, and we wonder justifiably, is anybody listening? <laughs> There's so much out there. We do lose our voice. We do find that we have less to say than we think we should. That's the problem of Zechariah. And Zechariah shows us that it's not just a problem of words in some literal sense. It's really a problem of a life. A life that doesn't become the life it was created to be. Because, notice, Zechariah was created to be a priest. I'm not created to be a priest in that sense. You're not created to be a priest, I'm guessing, in that sense. You're created to be something else. But Zechariah misses that something else that is unique to him. Yeah, I mean, it's, he, he's born into a priestly family from birth. And he's a kind of an overachieving priest. He does what historians tell us few priests did. He actually finds another daughter of priests to marry. So he's into this priest thing. And, you know, this moment, this day that he, we find him offering incense in the Jerusalem temple, this is game day. This is his big moment. It all points to this day for Zechariah. I mean, this is it for him. Historians tell us that there were probably some 18,000 priests, a lot of priests, 
in, in, in Judea in Zechariah's day. And there's one temple. And there's one person who gets to go in. 18,000 priests and 24 divisions. Each division had two different weeks of the year. And there were so many priests in each division for that one job that they had to draw lots. And if it was ever to be your one lot, if ever in a lifetime you ever drew the, the short stick, you could only do it once because somebody else would have to have another turn. <laughs> so for Zechariah, this is it. They drew his lot. He's going in. He ascends the steps. He opens the door. And he blows it. He blows it. His eyes begin to adjust to the mists, the smoke, the incense. It's dark in here. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice. God intended that Zechariah would have a very private, a very personal conversation that day. And he shows up in the person of an angel named Gabriel. He says, hey, Zechariah, over here, beside the incense. And he goes right into the heart of his message. He says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. I love that, by the way. It's your prayer has been heard because oftentimes we think because we didn't get the answer we wanted that the prayer hasn't been heard and we've got to raise our voice. But Zechariah, your, your prayer has been heard. It's been heard and it's been answered. What prayer? We haven't seen Zechariah praying in this story so far. and We're not told that he prayed any particular prayer, but we have been told that Zechariah has no children. He and his wife Elizabeth are barren. And if you've tried to get pregnant, I don't care if you believe in God or not, you've prayed. And prayed and prayed, and Zechariah and Elizabeth have prayed. And so the and they're old now, by the way. So the angel quite surprisingly says to Zechariah, your prayer's been heard, you're going to have a son, and you you should name him John. He's going to be John the Baptist uh, when he grows up. Now here's here's the moment right here. Here's the moment at which he's going to lose his voice. Here's where he blows it. He 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 says, Well, how will I know? All this is going to happen. It turns out that's not the right question to ask. Uh, that was, that's. Mary asked a different question. She says, help me understand this. He says, no, prove it in, in effect. And we know that that's not the right answer because the answer to his question is given by Gabriel. And it's as simple as it is mysterious. He says, well, here's how you're going to know. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And implicit in that statement is a question that comes right back to Zechariah. In whose presence do you stand, Zechariah? In whose presence do you stand? What kind of a God has heard your prayers? He asks about his theology. He challenges Zechariah to think about his expectations of this God addressed in his prayer life. And see, here's the dynamic. Here's how we lose our voice, I think. The, the man and the woman begin with very high expectations. They get married. 
they say their promise before God, and then they, they think to themselves, well, let's have a family. And, and so they pray, and they say, God, give us a child. And, and they believe enough about God to believe he has the power to answer that prayer, and they believe enough about God to believe that he has the heart, the love uh, to want to do that, to give them that. So they pray with high expectations, and they pray, and they pray, and they pray. One day leads to the next, and one month to the next, and year by year they pray. And perhaps decade after decade they have prayed. They're old in years, and there's never been a child. And I just think at some point along the way, they have revised their expectancy to protect God and to protect themselves. They've just come to believe that you can't expect too much of God. They've allowed the particular prayer that they've asked and the particular answer to that particular prayer that, uh, to define who God is. And they've come to believe that God is profoundly predictable, that you could ask certain things and you just shouldn't expect to get them because that's not the business he's in. And they have a predictable God. And at the moment that you and I have a predictable God, I want to suggest to you that is the moment in which we lose our voice. A God who could never surprise us, who would never astonish us, who could not transcend us in any way, nor redefine who we are as a person. When we don't have that God, when we have a predictable God, we get a predictable life. And the most that you can say for yourself is simply the most that you can say. And there is nobody speaking more over your life. There is no benediction. No one to say there is a God factor. See, it's not just you. There's God working around you and in you and through you. That's what a benediction says. But Zechariah has a missing benediction because he can't say that. I mean, physically, I think, you know, in the temple, this is where he loses his voice. I think spiritually, he lost it a long time ago. A long time ago. And so... Have many of us. But as with us, God loves Zechariah so much, he accepts him exactly the way he is. But he loves him too much to keep him that way. And so we come to the second act. We move from the missing benediction to a reliable word. There is going to be a benediction. If you turn the page to the Pew Bible or you move over to uh, verse 68, you will see there the words. The benediction finally comes out of Zechariah. He's the one who pronounces this. Blessed be. Speak well. May God be spoken well. Praise be uh, to God. How does this happen? The most immediate context is um, the birth of his child. Not actually the birth, but... The circumcision, eight days old, now this child is nameless, and Zechariah is still mute. But there's this question at the circumcision as to the naming of the child. Elizabeth uh, proposes John, a name that's not in the family, and everyone thinks this is really weird. And Zechariah comes with a tablet in shaky hands, and he says, his name is going to be John. And he writes it. That's exactly what Gabriel had commanded. That's the word of the Lord. And now, all of a sudden, Zechariah couldn't be more pleased to believe that word and to accept it for his life and for his son. And at that moment, his lips open. 
And the first thing he wants to do is bless, is offer a benediction to God, to his son, John the Baptist, and to all who are within hearing. He speaks. He speaks well. We read this uh, prayer, this benediction here, starting in verse 68. There's a lot in here. But notice this, that he emphasizes the faithfulness of God in speech. He speaks. He promises. He makes an oath. This is a God who is absolutely reliable. He speaks a reliable word. What he says, he does. What God says, he does. And yet, it's an unpredictable word. It's reliable, but you can't predict it. And, and we get a list of those in whose company Zechariah has spent the, na- the last nine months. Apparently, he's been reading his Bible, and he's gone back to try to understand. He's got a lot of time. He can't speak, and so he's read, and he's listened to the Word of God, and he's come across characters, and he begins to bring them out as he praises. He, he, he brings us first to David in verse 69. David, do you remember David? What an unpredictable life David had. I mean, God said, I want to anoint a King Jesse out of your eight sons. And he brings the first seven because one of those would surely be the predictable candidate. And where's the last? Because none of these is qualified. You're kidding me. We got the strongest, the brightest, the richest. We got the firstborn here. No, no. God unpredictably says, I want the lastborn, the youngest. I want the ruddy one, the weak one, the little fella David. God promises you will be king. That's a reliable word. And it happens. God has more to say about David than David can say about himself. And then Zechariah moves on to the holy prophets in verse 70. And there are many prophets, but no doubt he's thinking of the first prophet of the monarchy, Samuel. Samuel, who's born... In the most unpredictable of ways, because you remember Hannah in her grief, she was barren and distraught and victimized uh, by uh, the, the community. And one day God promised to Hannah, you will have a child, me. And she does, because God has more to say about Hannah and about Samuel than they can say for themselves. And then working back further in time, Zechariah says, remember Abraham, because Abraham, he was 100 years old and his wife was 90 years old. And one day an angel came to them and said, you're going to have a child. And the whole history of the planet is going to hinge on this son and his descendants. There'll be a nation that blesses the world. It speaks of benediction for all people. And it's such a funny thing that they grab their stomachs and they, they're bent, they, they drop to the ground in hilarity. You're kidding. We're going to have a child? And it happens. Abram and Sarah give birth because God has so much more to say about their lives than they can say. Is God predictable? Absolutely not. Is God reliable? In every way. Without exception. Your God and my God is unpredictably Reliable. And it's because of this that he can raise our expectations. In fact, he does raise our expectations to get us into a place in life where we expect more, but we haven't a clue. We can't possibly see with all of our plans and all of our advice that we give God. He says, just trust me. I'm reliable. 
I promise you something. I promise you so much and I will bring it to pass. I've got more to say about you than you can say about yourself. The image that Zechariah uses for this is the dawn. You notice that? He talks about the sunrise at the end of the song. Verse 78. It's a great image of, of um, unpredictability and yet reliability. Verse 78. These two verses, by the way, I think are some of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible. You would do well to write them out this Advent season. Put them on the fridge. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What is he saying? He's saying, I know who the people of God are. They're not the people who put their lives together. They're the people whose lives are falling apart. They're people who are absolutely stuck in sin and death and the shadow of life. But it is on just such people that the sunrise on, on high, Jesus Christ the Savior, shines. And it's, the dawn is perfectly unpredictable. In, in pitch darkness, there's no way you can construct light. It's, light is an absolute surprise in darkness. It's unpredictable. You can't anticipate how or where it will come. And yet the dawn is also profoundly reliable. It comes, and when it begins to come with the first embers of, of the morning, it fires up in beautiful flame and becomes that which warms and colors all of life. You can count on it, fulfilling that which it begins. I can remember, uh, and I'll always remember, hiking uh, in uh, the backcountry of Yosemite. And we were up very high above the timber line. We were several days in, uh, and it was cold. And we were camping uh, at night and um, sleeping when a bear came into the camp and uh, smelled our hot chocolate and ripped it through the back of one of the packs with a big hole and just delighted to have this huge sack of cocoa. We were out for two weeks and um, dragged it a, a number of yards away from the camp. And we tried to sort of discourage it from seeking more. And all night, a friend and I watched that bear from a distance of about 20 yards across a snowfield. And uh, we were freezing cold. And we were absolutely exhausted. It had been a long hike the day before. But for hours, we sat there shivering, just making eye contact with the bear. And if you've ever camped in a canyon, you, you know what this is like. You look over the western uh, the eastern ridge, and you begin to see the sky turning that uh, shiny blue. And you wait and you wait and you wait, and your waiting bears fruit because eventually that ridge line begins to glow, and then you see a beam of light up across your head that comes over to the western ridge, and you watch that line of light begin to slowly creep down the canyon. You wait for it, and you yearn for it, and you pray for it. And sooner or later... It strikes your head, it strikes your body, and that light illuminated us. It illuminated the bear, and uh, he turned and ran. And we watched him go all the way down this rocky canyon to the other side. And there was joy. And I think that's a picture of what Zechariah is talking about. I'll never th read this passage without thinking of that story. 
What he's saying is, no matter how stuck you feel in life, and we are stuck, friends. We are stuck in our uh, disease, in our alcohol, in our depression. We're stuck in our anger, our loneliness, our despair, our grief, our lust, our fear. We're stuck. And he says, Jesus Christ is the reliable word of God that he has spoken definitively to you and to me. No one expected God to be born in a wooden feeding trough. No one expected God to die on a wooden cross. And yet this is the the Christ that we celebrate this season. He does so to speak mercy into your life. To speak his word into your life so that you can speak his word in you. To find the full expression of the life you were meant to live in Jesus Christ. And so here's the point. When you rely on an unpredictable God, the most you can say for yourself is no longer the most you can say because there's so much more. This week, Eric Metaxas was in town. Eric Metaxas is a journalist, a writer, and he's written two biographies recently, one about William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was the British follower of Jesus Christ who led the movement to abolish slavery in the British Empire. And the other biography is about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, likewise a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the few people who stood up against uh, Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany, gave his life as a martyr. These two men. And somebody asked him, Eric, you got close to these two figures, and we wonder if you see anybody alive today who's living such dynamic, heroic lives as these two. He says, well, I have two answers. The first is that um, I don't think we always know who these people are. They're around the world, but history only returns the names of a few so that we can be inspired by their examples. He said the second thing is, really the answer to your question is everyone. Everyone has the potential to live with the same amount of greatness. It'll look differently in different people's lives because different of us are given different gifts, but God has made each of us, as we say here, a unique, unrepeatable miracle with divine intention for a divine purpose in the world to make the statement that only you can make. We're made for that. And God loves you. He's equipped you with the gifts that you need To make that statement in life, he's empowering you by your Holy Spirit, by his Holy Spirit, even now, so that you have all the power you need to articulate who you really are, who Jesus Christ really is through you. Jesus stands ready to speak more into our lives than we can ask or think. Even more than we can imagine. this This is what the Gospel of Luke is all about. This is the whole purpose. I say that with confidence because the Gospel of Luke begins with this benediction. But did you know that it also ends with the benediction? If you look later at chapter 24, the last verses of the Gospel of Luke, you're going to see there the great high priest offering a benediction, having fulfilled his offering on the cross, risen from the dead. Jesus Christ stands before The people, and he raises his hands, and he blesses. 
he speaks the final word of blessing on their lives and on ours. This benediction is not about a baby or a birth or a specific answer to a specific prayer. It's about living with higher expectations. As one person says, it's never too late to become who you might have been. That's what Zechariah discovers late in life. He has found his voice. May we also. Dear God, you have come to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer to our prayers, our petitions. Oh, come, oh, come into our lives. So come this day. By the present one, your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, and because he came and took on our humanity, God with us, come into us, into every life here. You are the fair one. You are fairest of all. Come to make us fair in your beauty, in your light. So let that be the truth. Let that be the word that is spoken over us today. May we hear that word. May we believe it. And may we go out from this place living in joy and speaking well into the lives of the people around us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.